Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Wonderful to be together this morning. We're going to read scripture and uh, just to let you know, I know some of you might be thinking, Gay, that's amazing, but I'm no hero, guys. I'm just a dad, okay? I'm just a dad. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to read scripture, Galatians chapter 6. It's wonderful to be together in church. So if you're wondering where my wife and baby are, they're at home because uh, we just, we thought it's, you know, it's quite a thing to bring the little leper-like child to, to church this morning. So we thought, it's a shame. It's, uh, she's also not feeling too good, so we'll leave them at home today. Is that all right? Just okay. Thank you for your grace. We're going to read scripture. Some of you thought we'll never get there, but we are there. Kanako, it is here. Galatians chapter 6, the final chapter in our series. Let's read. Brothers and sisters, that's you and I. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore the person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Let's pray. Father, this, this morning we stand, not just physically, but in our hearts, Jesus, we stand to full attention before your word. I thank you, Father God, that we do not gather around the name of a church we don't gather around the, the gift of a preacher. We gather because we believe your word is the highest authority in our lives. I thank you, Father, no matter where we are on our journey, whether we are far from you, whether our hearts are hard, whether we have had a tough week or a good week, whether we are doing well, whatever phase of life we find ourselves in today, I thank you in this moment your word can speak directly to us and bring freedom. I thank you that you're shaping us as a community. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Why don't you take a seat? It's really, really cool to be together. I went to the Congo a few years ago, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. We jumped in a car, went on a mission trip. It took four days to get there. And uh, when we arrived, we did some sightseeing. And in the very center, the very center of the town square is a statue of the, the, that nation's liberator, Joseph Kabila. The man who led that nation out of years of colonial rule and led them into independence. And it's a, a statue that will be a similar and probably you've seen in multiple African countries up and down the continent. And it's a statue of Joseph Kabila standing with arms raised victoriously with one chain in this hand, with one chain in this hand, declaring that the chains have been broken and we are free people. Amazing, amazing demonstration. But as I saw it, I realize that, that, that the problem with, if we look across the, the and this might be a generalization, but across the broad spectrum of Africa, politically, liberators don't make great nation builders. What I mean about that, they're the men who set the people free, but generally speaking, they don't really know how to take people from that moment of declaring freedom into what it means to live free. 
And actually, the problem is not just for in a political arena. I believe it's in the church space as well, in the Christian space as well, that through the first five chapters of the book, we've been declaring week in and week out that we are free in Jesus Christ, that it's Jesus plus nothing. And, and I want to say that the writer Paul is writing to us. He's not just declaring freedom. What he is doing and what we are shifting into today in chapter 6 is Paul is getting practical because he's saying, yes, you are free, but now this is what it looks like to be free in a community of believers. So this is what we're doing today because I believe this is huge for you and I is because we have not been set free into a religious system. You haven't been set free now. Here's a list of to-dos and don'ts and how to toe the line and become a good religious person. That's not what we've been set free from. And we're also not set free to, um, to, to do whatever we want. No, I'm free. I can do whatever we want. No, no, no. Any freedom, any promised freedom that comes with a hangover attached. What do I mean by hangover? By something that follows after. It's in the religious system. When you say, actually, I'm free, but I've got to keep the, the religious laws, that religious freedom comes with a hangover of guilt, uh, of anxiety, fear, and doubt. Because you'll always be wondering, have I done enough? Do I measure up? You'll never ever be fully secure. So you always got to be make, doing the religious dance to make sure you've done enough. But on the other side, saying freedom means I can do whatever I want also comes up often with a hangover, sometimes physically. But it always will have a hangover, an after effect of guilt and shame. So Paul has been fighting throughout this book to call us out of the cage of legalism, come out of the swamp of licentiousness, and says, put both hands on Jesus because it's only Christ alone is true freedom. And he's been saying in the height of the book we said in Galatians chapter 5, says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. You have been set free to be free. This is the glorious gospel. But today we make the transition from Galatians chapter 1, to, uh, 1 and 5 from all those things we've read, where it's been digging at our roots of freedom, calling us out of these different responses and saying it's for freedom that Christ set you free. And now we're into chapter six, which is, a, is, is paving the way and is showing us how does this actually tangibly work out in our day-to-day -day lives as we do this thing together. What does freedom look like when we stand and we drop our chains and we walk out of the prison doors? Because I want to tell you this morning, the prison doors are open, it's time to walk free. You guys okay for that? Brilliant. So we're going to look at the three points this morning, and then we're going to baptize a few people. I'm excited for that. Very, very cool. It's good. Anyone else excited? Just two, three? Good. Thank you. Very, very cool. So the first point, three points from this text that's going to, we're going to get to work. So if you've got a phone and you want to take some notes, this is, this is meaty stuff. That, so if you want to write some of these things down so you can go and make sure that what I'm saying is accurate and, and, and true in the Bible, because don't take my word for it. People the word. So the first verse is this. The first point is this. For us to walk free as a community, we have to learn to serve and not sabotage. Serve, don't sabotage. Let me explain what I'm meaning this. Verse 1 of that chapter 6 portion says this. It says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. If anyone is caught in a sin. Now here's the thing. Too often, I think, the commentators say this about this text. They said, that word caught doesn't mean when you've caught someone in a sin as if you're a sin detective. Aha! I caught them! I got them! Yes! That's what they did, the Pharisees did in John 8 when they, they caught the woman in, in adultery, the peeping Toms. You know, like, oh, we caught her in the act of adultery. And they dragged her to the front. No, no. The, what they're saying is, if someone is caught in a sin, it's not like a sin detective that's caught them out. They're saying if somebody is caught in a sin as if they're caught in a trap. So they've been caught in a trap, and they can't get out. They can't get free of the sin. That is my mind for being caught in a trap, if anyone's watching. It's also my new dance move at weddings. Anyone, anyway, it's for free. 
The commentators are saying it's that type of court. If someone is caught in a trap of sin that they can't get out of, you should restore that person gently, those who live by the Spirit. Some other commentators are saying it's, it's actually understanding that when somebody is drowning in their sin, you have to throw them a lifeline and help them out. Let me explain this way here. Two practical things for us. If we're going to be serving people, not sabotaging the future, and this will make sense as we go along, is number one, as Christians, I want to give us authority as people who are live by the Spirit, who have been set free in a community of faith. Our, our job, number one under this topic, under this title here, Serve, Don't Sabotage, is that we have to call them out on it. Call them out on their sin. Let me explain what I mean here, because this might, come, might be a bit jarring for some of you. But to serve their future and not to sabotage it, we have to call them out on it. What do I mean? It's sometimes so much more easier just to keep quiet and walk around it and ignore it. But can I tell you, if you, if you call say you love somebody and you don't call them out and help them out of the trap and just ignore it, you're sabotaging their future. You're not serving their future. Because you're allowing them to stay in the trap and say, actually, it's more, I'm more concerned with how you'll respond to me than your freedom. Make sense? Let me help us here. A practical example right now, uh, just to get us going, is confess in the light of confession, is that years ago, and some of you will struggle to believe this. I know. It's going to be a big one. Are you ready for this? I used to be a typical angry redhead. I know. My face would go red. When Liverpool would lose, I would throw the cushion across the, the, the lounge and I'd storm out and ruin my weekend. And, and more seriously, I, I, would, I would get very, my temper would flare up on the sport field. My temper would flare up. I know. Some of you are like, this is not the game we know. I can't, I can't even imagine it. Uh, and, or, and, but then, and I use the excuse, you know, I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. Beautiful excuse, you know. But it would flare up in relationships as well where if someone had a different opinion, I'd flare up and get big and I'd get angry. And then I had a friend, and I was just passionate. You know, I'm just, I'm the red, feisty redhead, and I've become the bit of the joke. <laughs> That's just who Gabe is, you know. And we just settle for who we are. A pseudo form of freedom. But I had a friend who came to me and said, Gabe, you know what? You're quite an angry guy. I'm like, no, 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 I'm passionate, buddy. You know me, I'm passionate. He said, no, Gabe, you, you actually are angry. It makes people uncomfortable. And it's actually gonna, it's gonna hinder your, your future. And he says, you don't wanna be known as an angry guy. And he said, you, you're actually a kind guy. You want to be known as a kind man, not an angry guy. I remember being so offended at this. I'll be honest. I walked around away, and I was like, I'm so angry that you called me angry. <laughs> it's like fuming. And I wrestled with it. I said, how dare you? And in my head, I start going through all this thing. Let me tell him. Oh, if I meet him tomorrow, I'll tell him what he's done wrong. You know, you know, the, just, you know the, le the legal thing comes out. How, you know, God often uses that. He uses people who we think are worse off than us, just challenge us often. I'm like, if I could just say something to him, then he'll know who's really angry. But as he said it, it worked in my heart, and I actually started, get, God started to do something, as I realized I'd, I'd been caught in a trap. And I was like, actually, it's not, actually, he's right. I don't want to be known as an angry man. I don't want my wife, my kid to grow up knowing that dad's angry. Passionate, not angry. No, to them it would come across angry flare up at things. And I have started to allow God to do a work in my heart. And I pray it's an ongoing journey, but I believe that God has been doing stuff in me in that. And, and, and I want to say I, th I thank God for that guy that he didn't, he had the confidence to speak. He had the confidence to serve my future, not sabotage it. Because by keeping quiet and saying, you know what, Ugh, boys will be boys. Gabe is just angry. That's <laughs> who he is. He would have been actually saying, I actually don't care about your future. I don't care about your future. You can do what you want. But he served me by saying, you might not respond well to me here. I'm going to I'm going to go lower than you because you, you might be angry with me. You might stop our friendship, but I'm more concerned about your future than our friendship right now in this moment. That is true freedom. 
when you're free of man's opinion, so you're able to challenge. Call them out on it. But here's the big thing for you now, because the sin that you are in is killing you. It's like a weight drowning you. And imagine if you're drowning in your sin, you're drown, or drowning in the ocean, and you yelled, help, help. And your friend went by on the boat and went, nice to see you. Help, is that the song by the Beatles? Cool. That's what the world these days sells us as love, as tolerance, is that we wave and smile as you drown in your sin. It's okay. I need help. It's all right. I love you. I love you. And he's gone. That's not tolerance. That's not love. That's called sabotaging their future. Serving their future is actually calling people on it. But here's the implication for you now, is that we have to learn in this thing. Careful, because this is now, it's not now, I know a lot of, oh, great. Let me at him. Let me at him. We've got to hold our tongue. We've got to take hold of our tongue. Why? Uh, what I mean by this is that if you can't speak to them, you can't speak about them. The problem in the church is people aren't speaking to people because I love them. I'm not going to challenge them. But what they're doing is they're speaking about them to other people. Oh, Gabe, he's really angry, eh? We must pray for him. We must pray for him. But no one has the guts to come and speak to me. So if you don't have the confidence to speak to someone, you've been banned from speaking about them. Not by me, by the Word of God. I want to be honest and say I, I haven't been great at this. I'm honest. I was walking with my wife, Fiona, the one who knows me the best. No secrets. You, you know, you can fool some people. Can't fool your wife. You know, you can be that very nice guy in public. You're like, he's so amazing. Yeah. Ask the wife. She'll tell you the truth. So I'm walking with Fee and, I, and I've been doing well. I'm feeling like I've been husbanding well. You know, I'm just in a good season. You know? Things are going well. Liverpool winning. Life is good. I've been, I've been, I've been, I just feel like I'm doing well. And I thought, hey, good moment to ask Fee. Like, seem humble. You know, this is, this is how my brain thinks. Just being honest. And I say, Fee, just speak into my life. Tell me where I'm like not doing well. Expecting her to go, Gabe, you are phenomenal. You're the best husband I've ever had. The only husband, but the best. I've been expecting to say, Gabe, you're just looking good these days. You're, just, you're amazing. You're just so good. Kind, man. Not angry anymore. Passionate, but not angry. No, I was just expecting that. I'll be honest. I was setting myself up for a little bit of an ego boost. I said, Sophie, where am I falling short? Without skipping a beat, my wife goes, you're a people pleaser. And then just walks on. Duh, 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 duh. <laughs> and I'm, st- I'm like, in the stop my what the heck just happened there? Just was like a burr in the, in the, in the, in the guts there. And actually what had happened is that she was speaking such truth. Again, I was like, I don't like that. I'm not happy that you're not pleased with me right now, people pleasing. But what had happened was I got so concerned what people thought of me that I would stop challenging people. That I would actually, I was sabotaging people's futures because I, because I was afraid to call them out on things because they might not like me. Because I like being liked. So actually I was doing people around me a disservice because it was actually about me. So I wasn't free, they weren't free because I was bound to what you thought of me so I'm not going to let you get free so I'm going to stay in the cage here. This is how real it gets. I'm trying to get better but here's the incredible thing. The scripture gives us a second implication. Are you ready? This goes hand in hand with the first, under serving, don't sabotage. It says call them out on it but secondly, the scripture goes on and says this, bear or carry each other's burdens. The message says this, stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Here's the second implication for us. is not only call them out on it, it's pull them out of it. Let me explain it this way. You're not a, you can't call them out on it if you're not willing to help pull them out of it. You can't call people out on where they, their sin, where they're trapped in sin, if you're not willing to get in and bear the burden with them. 
Too many Christians have set themselves up as judge, jury, and executioner. You're sinning. You're sinning. That's where you fall short. And I'm doing okay over here. Facebook says, full, this is where they fall short. This way. When actually we're called to speak to people face to face, then actually, actually I'm here. I'm going to help you get out of this situation. I'm going to bear the burden with you. The scripture calls us to enter their mess. Not to walk around it. Not to comment on what they could have done better. Because that's just what the Pharisees were doing. Because a good Samaritan lying on the end of the road, they see him in a mess. And what they do, they just walk around. And I bet they got to their prayer meeting saying, guys, we need to pray. I saw a guy bloodied on the side of the road. Let's pray right now. Looks holy. But actually, the holy things actually get in the mess and help him out. Bear the burden with them. So Jesus said this about the Pharisees. Pharisees put greater loads on people, but do nothing to help them. Greater requirements. You're falling short. You're falling short, but actually don't even help people. This is the understanding for you and I in this implication. For me, when I confessed years ago, some of you, if you don't know, this moment in my life, dramatic moment in my life was when I'd been addicted to pornography for many years. A moment came in a church service where I decided enough was enough. I wanted to be free. And I had a moment like a Joseph Kabila moment where I had the chains were broken when I confessed to a group of people. Quite radical, quite out there. And I said, I've been struggling with this and I'm done with it. So I had the chains there. But now for me to walk free in that, the incredible thing was I had a friend. And I thank God for this man who came every day. Because I tell you, after that moment, when I confessed that sin, in my head I said, I'm never going to get a girlfriend in this church. <laughs> and I never did. I had to come to Cape Town to find a wife. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. That's how my brain works. ADD at the best of times. But also, I, I remember thinking, you know, it's like you, I, felt, I felt free, but I felt vulnerable. Because I've just confessed to people that mostly were strangers. I've been addicted to pornography, but I want out. I felt free. But then as I walked down, even then the music stops. You know the thing? Because when there's a keyboard, it sounded very spiritual. Ah. Then the keyboard stopped and they said, we're just going to have coffee. And I'm like, oh, I'm that guy who just said that weird stuff from the front. And all the girls are like, hey. I thank God that I had a friend from that moment on. Every time he saw me, he came up to me and said, hey, how are you doing with that thing you confessed? How are you doing? I said, hey, you know, doing, told him about the journey. He said, let me, but then he didn't stop there. He told me, he encouraged me. He said, let me tell you, you're, not a, you're no longer an addict. This is who you are. And he always had scriptures and it affirmed my identity and my freedom. This is who you are. And he encouraged me. Because this friend didn't just call me out and said, how are you doing, bud? You're doing okay there, eh? Don't look at porn. You remember, you confessed it. He actually came along and said, I'm going to carry the burden with you. And he didn't tell you, there was about 200 people in the room. Only one guy followed up and kept asking me how I was doing. And encourage me because he said, Actually, I'm going to get in and carry the burden with you. This is how practical freedom looks like when you and I start understanding this thing. Let me finish with this point in this thing. No person has ever become bigger by making someone else feel smaller. I think we've got a, a there's, it's an Australian thing, the tall poppy syndrome, but here in South Africa as well. Whenever somebody starts to take steps of freedom, we want, or we want to, hey, don't, oh, careful, cut them to size. I want to tell you, small people make people feel small. It takes a giant to call the giants out of people. I, I, I just felt to say these things this morning because for us, this is what freedom looks like when we start recognizing the giants in people, not actually belittling people. This thing of helping people and, and, and helping people out of their sin is not to now point out their sin, it's to point out their future. That's how you serve people and not sabotage them. Call it out, pull them out. That's how we do. Great. Second point this morning out of this text is for us to walk into greater freedom as a community is not only serving and not sabotaging, it's to sow and not to steal. So don't steal. Sowing, let me explain it very quickly. Sowing is a biblical and agricultural principle 
where somebody lays down seed for a future reward. You, you get it? So a farmer comes, they plant the seed, they cover it up, and they step back. The next day, there's nothing there. They water it, they come back the next day, there's nothing there. This is how, I know this is, might be huge for some of you, biology 101, you ready? Seed doesn't grow automatically, but they sow the seed in expectation that in, at the, in the harvest time, there'll be a crop. What stealing is, stealing is going into a, uh, taking a future reward and saying, I want it today. Sowing is putting seed in the ground saying, I'm trusting that in the future there'll be something for me, something for me to be encouraged by. Stealing is saying, actually, I want what is due for tomorrow here today. I want to encourage us to be people who sow into our futures and not steal from it. Scripture says this way. It says that when you say no to the flesh, you're saying yes to your future. When you say no to your flesh, you're saying yes to your future. Let me explain it this way. When I was, uh, got, first got married to Fiona, on, our way, on my way home from church, I'd been at church all day, I was exhausted, hungry. She had gone home ahead of me, and, uh, and she told me, she texted me a message, your food is in the oven, I've made you an amazing home-cooked meal. It's like, I'm like, oh, salivating during the last bit of worship at church in the evening. It's going to be good. But by the time I'm driving home, I have to drive past a McDonald's. And as I'm driving, I know there's meal waiting there, but I'm going, I can just pull in here quickly, get a Big Mac, medium Mac meal, up, upsize Coke and chips. It's going to be a ama- oh, it's cheap. It's going to be good. I can do it now. I'm hungry now. And I, I tell you, the, for me, the temptation was to avoid that because listen what happened. We all know that if you have the Big Mac, medium Mac meal with upsized chips and the upside Coke, you may be satisfied for a moment, but you're going to feel quite gross 10 minutes later. Can I get an amen? <laughs> you're not going to feel really good about yourself. You're going to, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. But actually for me, the no, I, I, for me to sow into my future, I had to say no to the McDonald's meal. Stupid illustration, but I think it's the point is made because it's a no that's not motivated by fear. It's a no that's motivated by an expectation of greater joy. I wasn't scared that fear would give me a slap at home because I had McDonald's breath and I didn't eat the, the, the home-cooked meal. It's only happened one or twice. No, I'm joking. I, I said no because I knew there was something greater for me. There would be a greater joy for me in the future. So for me to sow now, I had to say no to the flesh. I was sowing into my future. Maybe I can get really, really hardcore. So if this is, I'm not looking anyone in the eye. This is just for me to speak here because I feel this is important. That there's uh, people will date and then they'll sleep together because they say, we're going to get married anyway. The problem is those couples often will then come back and say, yeah, but sex and marriage sucks, man. It's boring. Why? Because they've stolen. They went and they've stolen from a future reward because they wanted it today. Saying no in the moment is sowing for a future reward. This is really practical. Is that, good? Is that okay? Am I right to say that? Yeah. Cool. Thank you. I want to ask you, what are you sowing? I said it two weeks ago that Here's the thing, the, the text makes a shift though. It doesn't just tell us what not to. It says don't sow in the, the, the flesh. It tells us what to do. It says sow in the spirit. If we're just saying no, 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 that's just another form of legalism. Just say no, okay, okay. It's actually saying our no's become easy when we're saying yes to good things. To resist the drift, you have to embrace the chase. That's how I said a couple of weeks ago. And I want to say it again, that, that for me, when I, go, when I see Fiona at the end of the day, I don't say Fiona, you know I love you. She goes, yeah. I said, let me tell you how I love you, because I've said no to every other girl today. What a weird relationship. <laughs> so weird. I love you because I've said no to everyone else. Can I tell you, 
if that happened, uh, things would go badly there for me. But actually, the, pr- the re- reality is for me to love Fiona, for me to feel my love for my wife, I have to not just say no to everyone else. Yes, of course I say no to everyone else. But the no's become easy and not even a, a th- an obstacle if I'm saying yes to her, if I'm pursuing her, if I'm loving her, if I'm serving her, if I'm falling in love with her, the no's for everyone else is no thank you, no thank you, she's beautiful. Because I've been saying yes to her. It's again, it's, it's an illustration that falls short. But I want to encourage you that when you say yes to the things of Jesus, what he's calling you, when you start sowing into the Spirit, the no's become easy. If you want to know, it's very practical. For me, this is hard because I'm a man of ADD. I want instant gratification. I want reward now. So reading the Bible and prayer are two things that Jesus gives us as gifts to sow into. Because can I tell you this? When I read the Bible, sometimes I open it, I read it, and I go, I close it, and I go, I got nothing out of that today. Am I the only one? I read it sometimes, and I go, that wasn't as cool as that bumper sticker said yesterday, you know, the Bible. It's like, oh, it wasn't as inspiring. If I'm honest, I didn't get anything out of it. But the problem is because I've been treating the Bible as an ATM. I need my, I need my deposit now. I need my deposit now. And yes, the Word of God does speak to us in the moment. But can I tell you, most often when I read the Word, I have to embrace it as a bank and I'm making deposits, knowing that that is storing up a future reward for me. That I'm reading it, that I'm sowing it into, I'm sowing into my spirit because that is doing something for my future. Prayer is just the same. So often I pray, and after 20 minutes of praying, I go, Amen. I look around. I've prayed for 20 minutes for healing, for, for provision, for God's breakthrough. I see no healing. I see no breakthrough. I know no provision at the end of my amen. I could have, you know, in my head, my logical head is going, what have I just done? What have I done is I've just put seed in the ground, trusting for a future reward. If you want to learn to sow in the Spirit, this is how easy it is. Read the Bible as if it's a bank making deposits, putting there. Start praying and saying, Jesus, when you pray, say, I'm putting seed in the ground, knowing there's a future reward. This is how we sow. So the first point is, Serve, don't sabotage. Second is sow, don't steal. Third and finally this morning, from this text, as we just work our way through Galatians, is surrender, don't stop. Surrender, don't stop. The scripture ends with this verse. says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we do not quit, we'll reap a reward. If we do not give up, we'll reap a reward. If we keep pressing through, and I want to illustrate this point finally. Surrender, don't stop, with two stories. The first one is of, um, very practically, Fiona and I. This week, our babies had baby measles, as I mentioned. And uh, having a baby is tough at the best of times. Now, a sick baby who is crying, 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 and I don't know why, is tough. A baby who won't sleep unless she's being held. And as soon as she falls asleep and you put her down, she wakes up again. It's hard. This means long, long nights, eh? And yawning days. It's, and this, it's just a big thing. And then the, the spots came on Friday, and I freak out. I'm like, what the heck? She's got leprosy. No, it's not that bad. But we go, we go to the doctor, and the doctor says, okay, relax. You know what? And I say, what can we do, doc? What can we do? I wanna, I'm a, a parent. I want to do as much as I can for my little girl. She's helpless. She needs me to there. And, I, and the doctor says, you can't do anything. It's a virus. It's on its way out. Just love her, hug her, hold her, four days. It'll probably be gone. Ah, the worst thing to hear. The next day, the spots are looking more hectic. I'm like, we've got to go back to the doctor. He's probably misdiagnosed. Misdiagnosed. We got, uh, we got to, surely there's something you've got to do. Googling, you know, the worst thing you can do. And you start Googling stuff. It's like, does the spot look like this? Yes, it does. It's like terrifying. Don't Google. Don't. 
But here's the principle for us. We've had to say, actually, we've got to apply what we practice, what we preach, practice what the Word of God calls us to do. Now, it's not, it's now, it's not telling us, calling us to give up caring or give up trying. It's calling us to surrender to Him, the one who does heal, the one who does provide, the one who does bring peace when we have no peace. So for me and Fiona, we've had to, for Fiona and I, for the English teachers, Fiona and I, We've had, to, we've had to learn to surrender because we cannot do anything and trust Him, but it does not mean we're abdicating our love for our daughter. Does not have, we've done everything as far as we can in our wisdom, but the problem with a lot of us, and I know it in my own heart, is that we, we do as much as we can, but then we fret and we worry and we have anxiety. We, go, we cannot let go and trust God. And we end up stopping trusting God and we start trusting the hands of man. What can I do? What do I need to do in this? It happens in sickness. It happens with sin. It happens with trying to get right with God. We do it all the time. Surrender. Don't give up. Final story to illustrate this is that the, uh, my mom, I've told the story a few times, my middle brother went away from the Lord for a good 10 years. And, and you can think of the sin. He did it. Just was, he was a professional sinner. Did it really well. And my parents, as, as parents who were prayed, and, and this was, they just knew that, his, that he was, his future was getting smaller and smaller by the decisions he was making. And they were like desperately trying to intervene. They'll meet with him. And, and, and his heart was getting harder and harder towards my parents because they were trying to, come on, please, we've got to make it. And, and rightly so, intervene or say something. What are you doing? And he was like, you don't understand. And pushed away. And they felt the gap get bigger and bigger until my parents actually said, actually, we can't. We're not going to. It's not that we're not caring anymore. It's not that we're going to stop trying and praying, but we're going to surrender to God here. We've done as much as we can. We have to trust Him. Everything inside of them said, we've got to make one more phone call. Everything inside of them said, we've got to go more. It's actually, we're just going to pray. We're going to surrender. Can I tell you the amazing thing? My parents prayed, other people prayed, and God is more faithful than we could ever know. If you think you love your child, if you think you love somebody, He loves them much more. The greatest way to serve their future is actually to surrender and trust Him for their future. Not abdicating wisdom and stepping and doing what you can, but it's trusting Him more than your own efforts and your own ha- what your hands can manufacture. Because here's the unbelievable truth. is My brother today is a man who's married. His pr- wife is pregnant with a baby. He's, in, he's serving Jesus, and, and God has done an incredible restoration in his life. And, and, and restoration in, in the family dynamic as well. And I know it's true on many levels for many of us sitting here. There's stories that we could tell of those sort of instances. Can I tell you, surrender. Don't give up. There's a difference if we understand as people full of the Spirit. Last, I'll land with this before we talk about baptism and celebrate those big moments. Is this. This morning, I have confidence for you and I that we'll be able to be a people who serve and not sabotage. We'll be a people who sow and not steal. We'll be a people who surrender and not stop. Serve, so surrender. Serve, so surrender. How do I know that you and I have got confidence about us? It's actually because it's not about us. It's about a man named Jesus Christ who did those things for you and I. Jesus came. He said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. He said, I did not come to equality with God, something to be grasped. So I took on a nature of a servant. Jesus went lower and he served us when, I, and he didn't, when our futures didn't demanded punishment. He served Jesus did not only serve, he sowed into our futures. He came, why? And when he died, he died not with any other promise before him, but he died for the joy set before him. He died, went into the ground as a seed himself, knowing that there would be a great harvest on the other side, many sons to glory. Jesus served, he sowed, but knowing that he surrendered in the garden when everything inside of his flesh said, I want to, surely there's some other way, Jesus God. The Father, Jesus said to the Father, but not my will, yours be done. 
Jesus served us. He sowed into our futures, and he surrendered when everything else wanted to give up. And that is the power that for you and I to lean in today because Jesus did it for us. He has opened the prison doors and said he's beckoned us out and said, for freedom, you have been set free. Now, will you use your freedom to serve? So surrender. If you want to know what your work is in the light of what do we do? We've been free. What do we do? We serve people. We sow into a future we do not see, and we surrender and trust the God who has our future. Can I pray? Father, I pray this morning for us as a people. Thank you for this great book of Galatians that's been massaging truth in our hearts and pulling rebellious hearts out of their own broken, broken sin. You're pulling out legalistic hearts that have been thinking that they can add something to your perfect work, God. You're making us a Jesus people. And I thank you, Father God, that as we say we are Jesus people and we're free, it starts to get real and impact our parenting, impact our marriages, impact the way we serve one another, impact our way we love one another, impact the way we respond to situations. We are free, so we get to respond as free people. Not held by the opinions of man, not held by the expectation of the world, not held by our appetite that wants things now. We get to say, Jesus, we're free to respond as free people. I thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.